Thanks, Charlie. My name's Jerry. I'm an alcoholic. And Charlie told me I could talk as little or as long as I liked. Of course, I'm used to two to five minutes. So this is different. Uh, my sobriety date is February 21st, 1989. My home group is Serenity in the Stars in Goodyear, Arizona. And the size of that group is about this size. We have this many people, we feel successful. It's because we're, you know, it's a long ways out here. For us, it's just 10 miles up the freeway. But for most people, that's a long ways as far as you're concerned. So. Um, what was like, I, my first drunk was, I was 15 years old. It was a homemade cherry wine at Larry Jones' house on a summer day. And the three of us, my brother and Larry and I, we drank what his mother, his uh, mother had made. And uh, drank enough to, uh, that I was able to, you know, get sick and throw up. And throw up a lot. That didn't happen, that didn't happen right away. I had started working in a bowling alley setting pins. And Larry was, was downtown and was where, where he lived. So I ended up at the bowling alley where I worked, you know, really drunk and not being able to stand up. And so they called my brother, my oldest brother. He's eight years, eight years older. He'd come get me, and picked me up, and took me out to the side of a road. And that's when I started throwing up. That's when I started throwing up. And uh, in my family, I don't... I don't know that my parents were alcoholic. My, well, my mother wasn't. Uh, but they used to go out every Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday night. That's what they did. They went to the tavern uh, those nights. And so, you know, alcohol was always part of, you know, I knew this part of being an adult. Part of, that's, that's part of what you do. You drink. I came from a very large family. There was eight of us. And I was number four. And uh, which gave me a lot of freedom. My brother and I, we could run around anywhere, do anything, because <clears throat> there was the older kids, and then my mother was taking care of the younger ones. And so you know, we were kind of, kind of out there on our own. Like I said, I worked in a bowling alley. I remember one time telling my mother, if I come home in the morning, you know, like Saturday morning, that means I've been bowling all night in pot games. If I come home in the middle of the night, that means I've been drinking. You know, that that that's just how it was. It was never, you know, never a, a big thing was made out of it. When I got, a, I do remember when when I graduated, I had had a took a pint of vodka to the graduation, and I had this real loose sport coat. I'm standing there in line, and it falls out and breaks. And later on, my older sister came by and said, you ought to see what somebody did back there. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, that was, that was mine. You know, so I wasn't very successful at a, lot of, you know, at a lot of different things. I went right in the uh, service, and this was in uh, 1960. You know, so we weren't at war with anyone. We were just kind of friends with everybody. And one thing about the service, uh, you know, liquor just flows. 
I didn't necessarily even like it, but I knew that's what I needed to do. That's what was going to make me feel better. And you, know, you go to the club, and they have a ten cent night, and you know whatever. You know, it's just, it just, it's just what what happened. I was sent over, was sent over to uh, Korea. We had it when I went in. We had this choice: you could either pick your school, or you could pick where your first duty station was. And I, uh, I took bookkeeping in high school, and I really, you know, liked that sort of stuff. So I took, went to finance school. And uh, so then I got shipped to Korea. But going to Korea, I was, you know, in stationed in Seoul, and we had our own houseboys to take care of us, and and uh, Mama Sons to clean out, do all the laundry, and uh, civilian cooks, and didn't really have to do anything. In fact, I extended rather than come back to stateside duty. And you know, you just stay there, you know, just just stay there, stay there and drink. I remember my first blackout. I was gonna. I was went out drinking with this master sergeant, and I'm gonna match him drink for drink. And sometime that evening, he brought me back, you know, from the from the uh, uh, civilian uh, club we were in. And uh, I figured I came back. I went to bed and woke up the next day. And they said, "Oh no, that's not what you did at all. You were running all over the barracks, pounding on stuff." And I knew nothing, nothing of any of that. Uh, <clears throat> when I was getting towards, you know, time. I was signed up for three years when it, was, when it was time to get out. I said, "Well, I really should get out because I'm drinking too much. Clearly, the army's bad for me. I should just drink a little, you know, not well, not a real little, but but not as not as much." And I remember after I got out, I heard about this friend of mine that I was in the service with, and he had DTs. And it was like, wow, how could that have happened to him? He didn't drink any more than I did. Never realizing that I was just fortunate I didn't have that. I didn't have that. I never had a DUI. Only spent one night in jail. Thank God I didn't hurt or kill anybody who was out there driving as I was truly a menace on the road and had accidents. I remember one time, it was after a World Series, when it used to happen in the daytime and I was working graveyard, so we'd get off and start drinking and that afternoon, the, you know, the game would start and after the game, I'm on my way home, I said, well, God, maybe I should go out and you know, drive on the freeway for a while. And then coming back home, I'm like two or three blocks from home, and I smashed into this car. I sideswiped him. And this guy pulled up. He said, you know, I've been following you, just wondering who it was you were going to hit. And the police came, and I ended up getting, you know, I got a $35 negligent driving ticket. No breathalyzers, no, you know, none of that stuff. Just, you know, going home. And so I was able to... Uh, deny a whole lot about how bad things were, you know, because I didn't ever have, didn't really suffer the consequences of it. I ended up, <clears throat> well, after I got out of the Army, I uh, went straight into unemployment because I wasn't getting paid enough. In fact, the unemployment was a raise, you know. 
I did get a hundred and a quarter a month because I had had pro pay. And, but but, but I get forty two dollars a week. I was living at home. I'd have to make it down to the unemployment office every week or two weeks, and you know that was that was basically that was it. And so my parents put up with me because I was just there, get up in the afternoon, go drinking, come back, go to bed, next day do it all over again. And then my unemployment ran out, so my dad got me a job. You know, before that I was looking for a career, but so it became a job, and that's why I ended up working in a foundry. Uh, and it, uh, <clears throat> I decided that foundry life was not really where I wanted to be. I was just I was shoveling sand, and I really did really like finance. So I ended up starting going to college, and then and and went off to the after a couple of years of community college, went off to the uh, University of Washington. And to save $5 a month, I ended up having a roommate in a boarding house. I remember one time he was whining about his life and all the bad things that happened to him. He said, and I got an alcoholic for a roommate. And I was like, what? Who is he talking about? I mean, just because I had a case of beer under the, kept under the bed, he thought that was, you know, this is in the boarding house. You don't get refrigerator privileges or anything. He thought that was a bad thing. It was just like that was normal. Um, I ended up, uh, ended up, ended up getting married. Ended up, you know, marriage. I I, I married uh, this gal that I I went I went to work for a CPA firm, very small one, and so I I met this gal there. And I wasn't really good going out and finding women or anything, so she happened to be right there, and it worked out real well. Uh, because I would need to drink to get the courage to ask to dance or to do whatever. And, of course, I might be right at that stage of ready to ask or whatever. But by the time I actually asked, I'd gone beyond. You know, it was, there was the no stopping, no stopping kind of thing. Um, but she, she, had a, she had two daughters, uh, six and seven years old. And we stayed married for 10 years. And uh, I got involved with a woman across the street, her best friend. And it was like, well, gee, if she, she loves me, my wife, if my wife loves me, something must be wrong with her. And this, yeah, I mean, a lot of really sick thinking. I didn't have God in my life at all. I figured, by the time I got in the program, I got in when I was... 46. I figured I probably hadn't prayed for over 30 years. Uh, we did have we did have a daughter, and we got divorced in 10 years. When my daughter was about six or seven, uh, this was up in Seattle. I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, and then I went to went to Seattle school. So I have a then, <clears throat> then I moved down to California. I was working in. Uh, working for Santa Clara County in California. And my daughter was 15 years old and really in a lot of trouble. Uh, she was out selling drugs. She would tell her mother, well, if you don't take me to the park, I'm just going to walk down there in the middle of the night. Oh, okay. And she would take her to the park, you know, at, at midnight so she could sell her drugs. 
And it was clearly, she was going into the ninth grade that she was not going to make it. She was, and a friend of hers had happened to be sent off to this school to, uh, for some kind of a uh, behavior modification. And uh, she had just come back that June. And so this was just before Labor Day. And, and by then, I was remarried. Uh, a gal I'd met in uh, California. In fact, we've now been married for over 31 years. And she, and <clears throat> she wasn't, so we found out about the school. We went up, took my daughter up there. The school of probably about 25, 26 kids. And she had, uh, oh, and most of them had drug and alcohol problems. So they used to take her to AA and NA meetings. So, so one time I was talking to her, she said, you know, I'd really like to hold, have my own book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I've been sharing it with a friend. It'd be nice to have my own book. So I'm, gonna, I, I'm living there, but I'm going up to see her like every other week, flying up to uh, Billingham, Washington. That's, that's where it was. And, and uh, so I said, okay, well, let me see about getting the book. So first I'm thinking, well... Maybe Alan. Oh, first I tried bookstores. They had no alcoholic book, anonymous books in bookstores. So finally I called up AA. I said, well, where do I get a book? She said, go to a meeting. Well, where is it? This was on a Thursday night, coincidentally. Like that. Thursday night, I said, where do I get a book? Where, where, where can I get a book? It's 8 o'clock. Go to a meet, you can go to a meeting. There's one very close to you, about, probably about two miles away. And it was a men's meeting, and it actually started at 8.15. And so I went over to that meeting, and I said, Hi, I'm Jerry. Uh, I'm here for a big book. Fine, stay. We'll, we'll sell you up, sell you one after the meeting. I had been going along. I had been wanting my, wife to ch my life to change. My wife and I had actually ended up several years before going to counseling uh, where we worked. Uh, I remember him saying, you know, it sounds like alcohol is, is a part of a lot of your problems. Um, you ever think about Alcoholic Anonymous? I said, no, give me something else. That, you know, because I knew I definitely did not want to drink. And so he uh, said, well, maybe you're not an alcoholic. Why don't you not try not drinking, or no, drink two drinks a day for the next 60, 90, whatever he said, days. I remember that sounded so wonderful. One of the first things, I didn't have to stop drinking. And I wouldn't be getting into trouble that I was getting into because I only got to drink two drinks. And, you know, and after the second, second week, well, what does he really know? Two drinks, three drinks, what's the difference? And actually, probably for two years, I was doing some kind of a modified controlled drinking. That is, I would not. I would only drink a few drinks, and in fact, I was doing so well, I was able to go out and have, give myself a good drunk. You've earned it. You haven't been drinking. And there would be other times when I absolutely was not going to drink. I'd go out into a social situation, and I'd get totally smashed. In fact, the Sunday before I came to that first AA meeting, we went to these friends' house which 
clearly they were, uh, you're not supposed to say people, they were alcoholic. And we started off in the afternoon with a couple scotches, and that was it, except kept drinking, drinking, drinking wine, you know, everything. And I was home that night throwing up just like I had when I was 15. And my wife was really unhappy at that point. I mean, our marriage was, and also when we'd go to, out to date, I'd you know, be a very sensitive person, and she would say something, and I would you know, turn on her. And you know, things were just steadily getting worse. So our marriage was really deteriorating. I didn't realize how bad it was, uh, but she told me later on, as we talk about these things, you know, how close it was you know, to being in. So I came to the meeting, and they said, okay, when, uh, well, uh, stay for the meeting. After it, we'll sell you a book. And they sold me a book and suggested before I uh, give my book to my daughter, why don't I read, just read some of the stories in the back? They didn't take me to, you know, more about alcoholism, but certainly had my story running all the way through it. Uh, but... Uh, so I did, and you know, and I did relate. And you know, in part, I think I started going to meetings to look good for her when I saw her. Oh, yeah, I'm not drinking, and I didn't drink. Actually, I haven't had a drink since that first meeting. And I, my my last drink was a light wine. I remember that following weekend. I said, "Is that the right thing to stop on?" You know, a light wine. <laughs> but then I said, "Well, I could always start again, so that's it's okay." And. Um, because I would drink something every night, not necessarily a lot, but, but always something. And we, when we would go out, we used to drive my wife nuts, as I'd always have to take one more drink to bring to bed. Haven't you had enough? Why do you have, well, what if I wake up and I'm really thirsty? It's just really good to have it right there, right there handy. But anyway, but, but anyway so, I, so I'm, I'm starting to go to meetings, you know, like maybe three meetings a week. And before I ever got there, I really did want to change my life. But I wanted to, but I wanted to change it, I think, without any effort. And certainly not with, I certainly was not going to reveal myself to anyone. You know, I would go to a seminar or something, they'd say, okay, you just write down this stuff, no one else has to see it. Nothing's getting on paper. Forget that. That's not going to be me. So I'm going to I'm going to meetings. But I didn't have a sponsor. I had a big book and a, and a twelve and twelve, but I didn't have a sponsor. And so I was there about six weeks. And uh, we like this. We used to have guys come in, come in to share. Uh, actually, actually, j- just to share probably ten fifteen minutes, and then start calling on people. So he shared. He got sober in Seattle, or he used to drink a lot in Seattle. I used to drink a lot in Seattle. I'm sitting there thinking. If he could do it, I could do it. If he could do it, I could do it. Well, I'm the first one he calls on. I came in when I was 46. I'm the first one he calls on, and I just kind of whine, you know, like I don't get it. You know, and everybody applauds. You know, it's a good California thing. And he said, I don't know why you people are clapping. And he, they looked at me and said, well, first of all, I don't know why you're sober now. What I, but what I do know, if you don't get a sponsor, you don't start doing this program, you're going to drink. We're not talking about whether, we're only talking about when. 
this is absolutely what is going to what is going to happen to you. That's it'll, that's what's going to take place. And uh, it scared the hell out of me. Uh, and the next week, I picked a guy because I've been there enough, you know, to listen to Korea. So I asked a guy. Uh, <clears throat> who had about five years. That seemed like a really long time. I remember he asked me, he said, do you know any old-timers? I said, yeah, I know Danny. Well, Danny had just got his 90-day chip. <laughs> to me, that sounds like an old-timer. You know? and, uh, and then I said, well, what about all these God steps? Well, um, right now we're on step one. And we'll get to that as we get to it. And uh, the way, way he took me through the steps is he would, it, we would go through uh, chapter and the 12 and 12 in the big book simultaneously, you know, going, through, going through each part, through, you know, through each step. Uh, for me, the most, well, is my life unmanageable? And so we got to talk about, yeah, let's talk about how well your life is going. I hadn't lost jobs or anything, but I certainly wasn't having a, having a great life. It certainly wasn't happy. My family wasn't happy. Uh, when the second step, and say, okay, uh, I believe there's a power greater than myself. You know, I went through the uh, we agnostics. You know, who are you to say there is no God? You know, and. And so I finally uh, said, okay, there's a God, but I have insanity as another choice. You know, I don't have to do anything at this point. I can believe there's one, but I don't have to do anything about it. But then there came step three. And for me, step three was like jumping off a cliff. I had to turn, in fact, I had to turn my life over the care of God. I have somehow even left Will out of there. Just, just turned my life over, and I, and I couldn't do it. And I, and I really struggled, struggled a long time. I'd go to different meetings throughout the valley, and they'd say, "All you have to do is make a decision. This is all you're doing." Uh, and I was on my way up to see my way up to see my daughter, and I'm, I'm reading. I, you know, I really do want to get it. I really do want to. And I, and I was, uh, had a hell of a time to try to take that step. And so one of the things that I read was the, uh, in the uh, third edition, it, it was the sixth story. I think it's maybe the fourth now, or third or fourth. Anyway, it's a vicious cycle. And this is a guy who takes credit for having put in that book, God as we understand him. He said, and he, he talks in part of, his, part of his story. You know, he found out they used to play for, pray for him after the meeting. The reason the title of the vicious cycle is because he went out. He sold uh, uh, car polish, and he, he went off and ended up in, in a bar situation for lunch. And uh, people were buying rounds, and all of a sudden he was buying the rounds, and they were all there. He called them up. I think he was off in Connecticut. He was from New York. He was off in Connecticut. And he called them up, and they said, well, you make your way back, and then we'll see what we can do for you. And he came back. And he eventually uh, went to uh, Philadelphia and started meeting in Philadelphia. And they said, and so, so he's doing his meetings, and they're saying, 
saying to him, well, uh, what you keep talking about this God, but you don't, it don't seem like you believed in him. And he, he said he realized that somewhere over time he had come to a belief in God. And what that gave me was a whole lot of hope. I did not have to do it all at once. And as I mentioned, I'm reading this stuff, and I'm on the plane on my way up to see my daughter. And one of the sayings, one of our AA sayings, her, a friend of hers had, had told her about, that she told me the last time I was up there was, fake it till you make it. And so, and at first, fake it till you make it to me sounds like a real weak kind of thing. You're just faking it till, you know, you can make it. But I said, but I took a look, I said, you know, what that's going to mean to me is just have faith. Just have faith and do the deal. Quit the analyzing, quit all trying to figure it out. Just do the program. Now, one thing my sponsor had already done was had me praying. You know, he said, I, you know, I don't believe. I don't care. <laughs> I didn't ask you whether you believe. This, we, this is part of our, the deal with me. In fact, the first thing he said is, uh, when I asked him my sponsor, he said, well, you're married. You need some time with your family. Uh, you need to go at least five meetings a week. I'm like, five meetings a week? He said, no, you don't have to. But you need to find another sponsor. And so I went to five meetings a week. And uh, that, when I picked him as a sponsor, to me, that's when my program really started. Before that, I would just kind of, you know, running around the rim. Then, you know, that's, that's, when, I got it, that's when I got into the program. Um, So going, you know, going, going through the steps. You know, one, one of the things this for for me, this is very much about one. The longer I've been here, this is a one day at a time program. I cannot live, you know, on yesterday's stuff, on whatever I do, even last week's or la, you know, whatever. It's what am I doing now? What am I doing on an ongoing basis? And part of what's really beautiful about being here is the ability to still, you know, to learn and grow. You know, I love the fact that there's no timetable. You don't have to be, if you're in here this long, well, this is where you ought to be, and there's no graduation. There's continuing, continuing opportunity to move and grow. I was very fortunate the group I went to had a very strong belief in service. That was, you're in that group, that's part of the deal. You know, you're coming in fine, you can, you know, you, you start cleaning ashtrays, you start, you know, doing things. When you get six months, we expect you to uh, chair a meeting. We're in every year, okay, it's time for intergroup or H&I. Two years, good, general services waiting for you. Uh, you know, we had, a, we, the meeting, the group had about five meetings a week. So we had a very active, uh, you know, business meeting. Uh, we, in fact, even later on, we did group inventories. I mean, it was really being in there. And one of the things I did when I, I did really immerse myself in it, in AA. You know, I could see this was going to change my life. I could see that it did other people change his life. One of the things that really helps me get to the uh, get to meetings is have a commitment. 
I was so committed that I showed up a week early here. So it's very easy to find this meeting. I'm sitting out in the parking lot last Thursday at 6 o'clock. And I, I text Charlie and said, so where is everybody? He texts me back, is today the 12th? And he felt sorry that, you know, somehow he hadn't communicated clear enough. Well, the message that he had sent me for the address, which I actually had to look up that night to get here, of course, said it was the 12th. But I knew it was the first week, so I didn't even have to think about that. I'm just too, that that's, how it, that's how it happened. So it was a pretty easy trip out here tonight. In fact, Charlie texted me and asked me if I was going to come tonight. Like, well, you've already been here once. Are you going <laughs> to... Is this worth two trips? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and right now, I, I stay very active in service. That, that, that is something... Uh, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's three legs to the stool. Recovery, unity, and service. And, you know, the... Uh, and, and, and to me, I'm very... I want to do things to be sure that the entire AA is here. You know, not just as, my, as how is my meeting group doing, but basically how is the inner group doing? How, you know, are we communicating up and under? We have a voice. You know, we have a voice if we choose to use it. If we don't fill those positions, we, we're a group that doesn't have one. And like I said earlier, I'm in a, uh, belong to a group that, that's about this size. So it gets a little hard at time to be able to fill those positions. You know, we've got a GSR where, you know, it's been back and forth a little bit on, uh, on having an intergroup rep. But, uh, you know, we're still going, still chugging along. Um, where am I going now? Actually, <laughs> I am going. I'm moving to Scottsdale <laughs> from Goodyear. And so... Today, this morning, I went, it was at, at, a, uh, at, a, at the Red Eye meeting at the West Valley Group. And, they, and one of the, what they do is they read the uh, daily uh, reflections. And today it was on acceptance. And I finally come to accept, yes, I really am leaving. And yes, I do need to give up my commitments here. I'm the, I'm the treasurer down at the West Valley Fellowship. And I, no one else could really do it as good as I did. <laughs> and how could I find the right person to possibly take over? You know, and, and so I said, oh, I'll, I'll do it for the next year, you know. Well, we had a, we had a meeting, um, a committee meeting Monday. And who should show up? He said he wanted to be back on the board. It was the last treasurer, the guy giving me all the stuff, you know, that I worked off all his stuff. So well, I guess this is a good enough sign that I really am going to be moving on. I'm really going to start a new adventure. I really, you know, and it's to get connected over there. Now, I've been to a few meetings over there that I didn't like. So it's got because <laughs> they don't do it like we do it in West Valley. But, <laughs> but also, what you, one reason I moved to Phoenix, um, well, I moved primarily because we really like hot weather. But in terms of pick and like Phoenix to come to, is I was going to come to a place that had lots of AA. I mean, I cannot 
I would not picture moving into a real small town that only meets, has a meeting once a week or something. <laughs> I know some people live like that, but I see Charlie most every Sunday. Well, <laughs> you know, at, at least it's not that far away. It's not that far away. It is, it is, it is still a choice. Uh, and it, it is really good to be here. And I think I, I think I've been pretty close to the hour. I think I'm I'm, I'm ready to wrap it up. Now, thank you for listening.